This day is traditionally called Palm Sunday. It was the day Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem um, in a kingly processional, presenting himself as Messiah, riding on a donkey. Tradition tells us that on that same day, coming from the west, that Pilate, the governor, entered into Jerusalem with a mighty army surrounding him and riding on his steed as the victorious, powerful governor of that region. And so on that day, Jesus enters from the east, another processional, him not coming as the victorious king that the Jews expected, but him coming as the, the servant, suffering servant king, the one who would four days later give his life on the cross to die for, for our sins. So a question is, is why did Jesus, Jesus choose this day? Was it significant for some reason? Was there something cultural that would make this day the day that he entered? And actually there was, because this was the day actually that the people were choosing um, the lamb that they would sacrifice four days later for their Passover feast. If you don't know much about the Passover, um, and it was a, there was a meal to celebrate God's setting of the Jewish people free from their slavery to Pharaoh. On that day, 1,500 years before Jesus, during the time of Moses, at God's command, the people killed a lamb, placed its blood on the side and above the door, and then ate the lamb in a symbolic meal. That night, when the death angel came over Egypt, if he came to a house that had the lamb's blood on the doorframe, then he would pass over that house and the firstborn child inside that house would be saved from death. In 1 Corinthians 5.18, Paul says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was the one who through his death saves us from the penalty, the punishment, and the power of our sin. So again, the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem was the day of the choosing of the Passover lamb. On that day, thousands upon thousands of sheep were brought from Bethlehem, where they were raised, onto a road from the east and brought into Jerusalem, where they would be picked out, where each family would pick one out for its Passover lamb. Entering the city through the sheep gate, very near to the, saint, to the gate that Jesus entered when he entered into Jerusalem. But he was coming as one who was born in Bethlehem and who was coming into the city as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist had said of him. So this Sunday is very significant to people who follow Jesus, for this was the beginning of the events that culminated in his death just a few days later, a death that was not foisted upon him, but a death of his own choosing. Just a few days before this, Jesus said these words, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So the last few weeks, we've decided to devote ourselves to looking at God, our El Capitan. Um, he's the one that, by looking to him, I think it helps us to put all of this into proper perspective. And our El Capitan scripture for this virus is Psalm 11, 3-4. Um, which says this, When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. As Eugene Peterson put it, the bottoms dropped out of the country. Good people don't have a chance. But God hasn't moved to the mountains. His holy address hasn't changed. 
He's in charge, as always, his eyes taking everything in. So today we're going to continue to delve into the nature of God and ask that question, what is God truly like? Not, again, what I think he's like or what do other people say, but what does the Bible say that he is like? And again, through it all, I think we will find, uh, be convinced that God truly is all um, sufficient and he is all satisfying and that he really is all that we need. Now, before getting into the text today, um, let me start with this. James Bryan Smith in his excellent book, The Good and Beautiful God, he says that the reason that a lot of people don't trust God is because they are not totally convinced that he fully, he has their full interest in mind. They really aren't sure that he is looking out for their good. And if I'm not convinced of that, that he really has my interest in mind, then when events of great uncertainty or times of uncertainty come in, it's, it's natural for my anxiety to rise. So this morning, I want to speak to all of us, but especially to the one who's following Jesus but's really struggling with high anxiety in the midst of all of this. I'd really like you to listen to the words that Jesus says today. Um, and to allow God to help you take your anxious thoughts captive and for him to renew your mind through the washing of his word. And if you're watching this morning and you really don't know Jesus and you haven't decided to give your life to him because you're really not sure yet if he is worth following, I also want to speak to you because I think these words have a lot to say um, to you today. So in order to truly know and understand God, I believe we really must turn to Jesus, uh, the one who is the embodiment of God, who is God in human flesh. Because Jesus walked intimately and knew intimately the Father and knew him better than anyone. And so in just a minute, we're going to turn to one of the most famous texts of the New Testament, some of the most famous words that Jesus actually uttered. And in this text, he's going to speak about God as Father. Um, and before we get to that text, let me just say that I know that we've all had differing experiences of fathers. Um, some of us have had good experiences, some of us not so good. Um, for me, my father was awesome, and it is not hard for me um, to imagine God as a good loving father because of my relationship I had with my dad. But for others, it's really hard to imagine God as a good and loving father because of their experience. But let me just say this, that God's fatherhood is not ultimately defined by my experience, even if it was a good experience. Um, rather, all of fatherhood is defined and measured against Him. God is really the touchstone of what true fatherhood is. So, I want to take a minute with that in mind, and I want us to listen to the text. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the bread we need for each day. Forgive us our sin debts, just as we also have forgiven our sin debtors. Keep us clear of temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Thanks, Evan, for doing that. You nailed it, dude. Um, once this thing all blows over, uh, let's you and I go out and do Brahms for that. So, in this text, in this prayer that Jesus offers, there are six things I want you to learn about God as our Father. Some very significant things, I think. Before I launch into it, I need to give kudos to James Bryan Smith 
who is the one who gave me the seedbed that a lot of these ideas grew out of. So I appreciate, uh, I appreciate him. But here's the thing I'm wanting us to leave this text with, this prayer. I want you to see in it six things about God of our, as six things about God as our good and loving Father. Six crucial things that show us that He is a good and loving Father. The first thing we learn about God is that He is personal. Uh, the prayer begins this way in verse 9. Our Father in heaven. God is so many things. Among them, He's creator and He's king. But He is also our Father. John 1.12 says, To all who receive Jesus, that is to those who believe in His name, or in other words, who fully place their trust in Him, to those He gives the right to become the children of God. So if I truly want God as my Father in heaven, I need, an inter I need to enter into relationship with Him through the death of Jesus on the cross for my sins. But when I do that, He not only becomes my Father, but He becomes something much, much more. In the Syriac version of this prayer, for the first translation of the New Testament actually, which was translated into Aramaic, which was the language that Jesus spoke, Instead of saying, the word we translate Father, it translates it as Abba. It comes from the Hebrew word for Father, which is Av. And if they wanted to call their Father a more intimate, in a more intimate way, which would be like Dad or Daddy, they would say Abba or Ava. Um, this is so personal to me in so many ways because working with international students over all those years, many languages, especially from Asia, when they would refer to their their father, it would be as Abba. So it was, it was really cool. That always reinforced this, this idea to me. This word Abba is a term of great love and devotion and intimacy. It's why Paul says in Romans 8.15, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. You've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, but we call him Daddy. God can be fully trusted. He is personal. He's my Father. He's my Dad. Second, in this prayer, we learn that God is pure. Look at the second half of verse 9, where Jesus prays, May your name be honored as holy. It's a cry for God to be known and to be honored throughout all of creation among all people in all nations, that he would become famous. And not just honored, but that he would be known as one who is holy. Holiness being, among other things, absolute purity and goodness. The Bible teaches that God is ultimately, totally, unfailingly holy. He is good. Deuteronomy 32.4 says that God does no wrong and is perfect. 1 John 1.5 says that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If you were to read the FDA guidelines on what constitutes purity in food items, you might be shocked to learn that peanut butter is considered pure if it contains less than 30 or more insect fragments in 100 grams, or one or fewer rodent hairs in 100 grams. Now that's comforting, isn't it, the next time you have peanut butter toast? I want you to know that unlike peanut butter, I want you to know that God is totally, He is absolutely pure. 
totally good. There's not even a single microscopic fragment of sin or evil or ill intent in him. That's why David in Psalm 34, 8 challenged us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus more than anyone knew the Father and he knew him as good. You can stake your life upon it. Third, we learn from this prayer that God is preeminent and that he's powerful. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We learn from these verses God is not only Father, but He's also King. He is the preeminent one. He is the sovereign ruler over all the universe. And I'm not going to get into all the reasons this morning why we don't clearly see His rule all the time, but I want you to know that as Psalm 103.19 says, that the Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Or Psalm 33.11, that the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. Though we all suffer with difficulties and problems and trials throughout life, and like a lot of us are even right now, I want you to know that God has the last word in all of this. There is nothing that can happen that is outside of God's control and that he cannot redeem. That's why Paul said so convincingly in Romans 8.28 that God causes all things to work for good to those who love him who are called according to his purposes. So fear not. God is in control. He's got this. And he's, he's not just our sovereign king, the preeminent one, but he's also all-powerful as the sovereign king. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 19, 28, with God all things are possible. Or while the, the angel announced to Mary in Luke 1, nothing is impossible with God. We can trust him as the preeminent and powerful one. The fourth thing I find in this prayer is that God provides. Look at verse 11. Give us today the bread we need for each day. God is a good God who, like any good dad, he longs to provide for the genuine needs of his children. Not necessarily once, but most certainly the needs. And again, we talked about that last week. It's an important distinction, right? Remember in Psalm 23, 1, David said this, that the Lord is our shepherd. I have everything I need. Now tell me, what good father not only doesn't give their children the things they need, but doesn't love giving their children good gifts? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 11, if you then, who are evil, know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Later in the same chapter of Matthew, in chapter 6, Jesus has more to say about God's provision. And I want you to listen to these words, and I want you to let them sink into your heart. But not just sink into your heart, I want you to, them to move into your behavior and the way you live. Of chapter 6 and verses 27, 31, and 32, Jesus said, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Can I repeat that? Who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Some who are listening 
today have been hit pretty hard by the virus. And perhaps you're even looking ahead and asking, where is my daily bread going to come from in the next week or in the next month? I can speak um, from much experience on this. For many, many years, we lived in a form of ministry where we lived off of the financial support of others that they would send in monthly. And over those years, there were many times when we did not receive enough money to make it through a month. Yet, we never went without one single time. And the reason is, is because we serve a good and loving Father who is personal. He's my daddy. He's pure. He's preeminent and powerful. And he provides. Trust me, he's got you. The fifth thing we see in this prayer is that God pardons. Look at verse 12. Forgive us our sin debts, just as we also have forgiven our sin debtors. The Bible speaks of sin in many ways, and one of them is as debt. In doing so, it conveys the idea that every time or any time we wrong him, it acts as a debit on our relational account with him. And the Bible is clear that for all of us, our sin debt, it is too huge for us to pay back to God. It's unpayable by us. And that's why we need Jesus. I love Colossians 2, 13 to 14, which takes this image of sin debt. And it says this, God forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the debt against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. It was Jesus who paid the debt for my sin, the debt for your sin. He lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we all should have died. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Though he was without sin, for our sake he became a sin offering, so that through him we might be made right with God. 1 Peter 2.24 says that he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. And Isaiah 53.5 says, He was wounded for the wrong things we did. He was crushed for the evil things that we did. The punishment which made us well was given to him, and we are healed by his wounds. You see, contrary to what many people think, the Bible does not teach that good people go to heaven. Rather, it teaches that only forgiven people do. And that's a really big difference. And I want you to know that God longs to forgive us probably much more than we even long to be forgiven. In Psalm 86.5, David says this, Lord, you are kind and forgiving. In Micah 7.18, it says this, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the wrong things we did? If you haven't accepted God's offer of forgiveness, if you haven't had the weight of the guilt of your sin lifted off the shoulders of your soul, if you've not accepted, received his free offer of an intimate relationship with him through the death and resurrection of Jesus, I invite you to do that today. If this is something you're interested in, you can either uh, click on the request prayer button below or the learn more above, and I would love to start a conversation with you on how you can be forgiven of your sins and come to know God as your Father. Sixth and finally, God protects. You can find this in verse 13, where Jesus says, Keep us clear of temptation and deliver us from the evil one. The version that most people grew up hearing of this prayer was actually from the King James Version of the Bible, and it went like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
and I don't want to go into a lot of detail here, but in the Greek, which the New Testament is written in, it's clear that what the King James translated as evil actually should have been translated as the evil one, referencing Satan. So it's a plea to be delivered from the ploys of the devil, who we are told in 1 Peter 5.8 is like a roaring lion roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And the request for protection from temptation to me is really interesting. Jesus did say it in the negative form, lead us not into temptation. But you'll notice I've translated it into the positive, keep us clear of temptation. And here's why. In that request, Jesus was using a figure of speech called alitetes. Trust me, I practiced that a hundred times that I could say that right. Alitetes is a figure of speech in which something is stated in the negative in order to affirm and to emphasize the positive. The understood intention is the emphasis on the opposing positive statement. Here are a few examples. You won't be sorry you bought these Ginsu knives really means you'll be thrilled you bought these Ginsu knives. The statement, New York is no ordinary city, actually means New York is an extraordinary city. If I were to say Shakespeare was not a bad playwright, what I really mean is Shakespeare was a master playwright. If I were to say a million dollars is no small amount of money, what I really mean is, is that a million dollars is a huge amount of money. He isn't the brightest light bulb in the box. Well, you can figure that one out. In this phrase, Jesus is expressing a strongly positive idea by stating the opposing negative. So here, Jesus is not implying that sometimes God maybe will lead us into temptation. That's not the thought at all. We're told in James 1.13 that God cannot tempt anyone for evil. Rather, Jesus' point was that the Father can help us stay away from it, and He even desires to keep us away from temptation. If He had time, I would show you the other example of this, other examples of this in the Bible. A Greek grammar would tell you that you can translate this, when you see one of these, by adding the phrase, by all means, and then adding the positive statement. So, by all means, keep us clear of temptation. That's Jesus' intent. Like any good and loving father, he's our protector. That's why Solomon said of God in Proverbs 18.1, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. Or why David wrote in Psalm 144.2, He is my faithful love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer. He is my shield, and I take refuge in him. So in this prayer, we learn six important things about God. That he is personal, that he's pure, he's preeminent, and he is all-powerful. He provides, he pardons, and he protects. God truly is a good and loving Father. Let me wrap up with this. We have to filter everything in our lives, including this virus and its fallout, through the reality that God is a good and loving Father. And here's why this is so important. Dallas Willard has said, unless we are convinced and truly believe that God is both great and good, we will never fully entrust our lives to Him. Again, this is so important because if you're not convinced that God is good, if you're not convinced that He really has your best interest in mind, you will never fully be able to trust Him. And the natural result and outgrowth of that is anxiety. That's one of the reasons why I really love this prayer. 
because it emphasizes his goodness and his greatness. We see his goodness in the first two and the last three, that he's personal, that he's pure and he's good, that he pardons, um, that he provides, that he pardons, and that he protects. And we see his greatness in numbers two and three, in that he is pure, he is absolutely holy without any sin at all, and he is preeminent, he's in control, and he's all-powerful. If we are fully convinced of those things, we can live at rest in Him, trusting Him with this virus and being the non-anxious presence that our culture so desperately needs right now. And parents, I really want to challenge you. I really want to encourage you. Please listen to me. One of the greatest gifts we can give our children is a non-anxious presence. So if you're struggling with anxiety, trust me, your children are catching that. Really dig down into the goodness of God. Put your trust in Him. Not just in your heart, but in the way you, you talk and that you act and you live in this time. And Jesus is our example in this. The night before His crucifixion, we see Him living out the reality of his, this prayer in His life. Living in absolute trust of the Father. We see it in Mark 14, 36, where He said, In prayer, on that dark night before His crucifixion, Abba, Father, Daddy, all things are possible to you. Please remove this cup from me. However, not what I desire, but you, what you desire. Let us live with a rock-solid certainty that even when I cannot see the Father's hand, that I can trust His Father's heart. Let us live in trusting dependence on Him on our good and loving Father at all times, because He can be fully trusted with your life. I'd like to end with prayer, specifically with this prayer. And we'll do it in both the traditional form and the way I've translated it. So as I pray, would you join me? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the bread we need for each day. Forgive us our sin debts, just as we, as, also, as we also have forgiven our sin debtors. Keep us clear of temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And all of God's people said, Amen, which means so be it. All right, we're going to close with one final worship song from Robert.